show. My name is Jeff Thomas. This is Financial Views with Local Brews. I'm happy to be sitting here at a tap room in downtown Indianapolis. Really cool concept. Uh, Xavier Randall, Eric Faust, and they highlight a different craft brew from a different region each month. And this month is narrow gauge. So we have Jeff Hardesty and from uh, just a northern suburb of St. Louis in Florissant, uh, Missouri. So with that, boys, cheers. Welcome. Thanks for doing this. Cheers, man. Thanks for having us. All right. Now, one of my favorite jump off spots with anytime I start this is an origin story, right? So you guys have been in hospitality and various other lines uh, of business throughout your careers. But how did a tap room come about? What's the backstory to it? Uh, it, The joke we always kind of make is uh, uh, Eric used to live up in South Bend and then he's wanted to open a bar for a while. I wanted to work for no other people for a while. Uh, so he came down here. We met through just beer industry stuff. He was uh, repping for Bare Hands, and I was one of the uh, managers over at Blackacre on the east side of Indianapolis. And there was some beer fest. It was for the east side of Indianapolis, but some reason Bare Hands was there, uh, even though they're three hours away. And we kind of met through that, and we just started talking uh, about a couple different ideas. And then uh, I don't know, one day we were drinking, it was like a Super Bowl thing, his, I don't football thing over his house or something, and we started drinking out of his uh, out of his cellar, and I started just rambling about, I don't want to have to drive all over the place to get beers anymore, that's our idea, why, you know, why don't we just do that, why don't we just see if breweries will bring us their beer for a month, and it'll be like a 30-day tap takeover, and it'll be stuff that Indianapolis doesn't have, so we don't have to compete with existing craft beer bars and it really just stemmed from me not wanting to drive places which arguably we've driven substantially <laughs> more uh, yeah, since uh-huh. we started this but uh yeah that was and i just i wanted idea. i wanted to open a bar and i i i have my own business ventures um i just i i couldn't handle it by myself so it naturally made sense for the both of us to team up to to do it together so yeah fantastic well let's get let's get the jeff story so talk about narrow gauge how'd you guys come about i've read a little bit about what you guys do just north of st louis there with being connected to a restaurant and whatnot but how did narrow gauge come about my man yeah so we're kind of a unique concept so originally like uh pushing forward trying to open up a brewery my wife and i um kind of came to the uh, conclusion that we wanted to open up a, a brewery like 2013, 2014 range, uh, and kind of started to put in the work, put uh, everything together, try and figure out uh, like what we needed to do to be able to open up in rural Missouri is what we originally planned to do, which obviously that's not what we do now, um, being in a north suburb of St. Louis. Uh, <clears throat> but that was our original goals was uh, to kind of push forward with that. Uh, and we quickly realized that we weren't going to be able to get like the, the loans we wanted. Uh, neither of us had any experience in the industry, anything like that. So uh, ended up kind of becoming friends with uh, one of the owners of Cajino's, the restaurant we're inside. So Ben and I kept running into each other at uh, like beer festivals, beer releases. So a lot of the early on side project releases, I would run into Ben. We would have conversations. Uh, Never really about opening a brewery or anything like that. It was more like building up a friendship. Um, and then 
as things kind of pushed on, I was pretty involved with the homebrew club in St. Louis called STL Hops Homebrew Club, uh, which STL Hops was actually a forum in the, the beginning days, and it was kind of like the early on trading forum for like beers in St. Louis. Back when like craft beer was pretty small, so mm-hmm. <clears throat> the homebrew club was kind of a spinoff of that, uh, and they would actually do like year yearly anniversary parties. So in particular, this one was at Perennial. Our homebrew club was there. I had a homebrew there, which ended up being a coconut party, which was Copra that we had here on tap this month. Uh, and uh, Ben and Dave, two of my business partners, had it there and was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Uh, they were real excited about the beer. They were looking into like kind of doing some other business ventures and they're like, what do you think about trying to team up on this project? And it was kind of a good situation for both of us. Like we didn't have the understanding of running like a restaurant or a tap room, anything like that. Uh, so it kind of gave us a nice outlet of bringing in two other people that have had experience of running a craft beer bar at the time. Kadena's had 54 craft beer taps. Um, mm. Well, they weren't all craft beer, but mostly craft beer taps. Uh, so they kind of had a knowledge to it and it ended up, uh, we kind of cornered out a small section of the basement they had in the restaurant and decided let's put the brewery in a basement, which they originally pitched that idea to me. And I'm like, nah, I don't want to go in a basement. <laughs> uh, and it was, ended up being like, oh, this space could work. So, um, and they, now you're, there, they now you're, medicine. now like, you're, it, it no longer they, works. But, <laughs> yeah. You're, uh, like it was an awesome way to start. Like, uh, I don't know how you got all that stuff down there. Yeah, like, (laughs) we were one of the first breweries to kind of do, like, the joint space thing. So, like, I take pride in that, and it worked out extremely well for both of us. Like, we got to the point of starting the brewery pretty cheap. We didn't have to build out a building, anything like Mm. that, other than, like, convert the space. Um, But I started as a home brewer, so that's how I got into brewing. Right on. Well, how'd you guys get connected to, you know, select narrow gauge to be this month's? I've been going to Narrow Gauge for since years, they opened. Pretty much since yeah. they opened. And we were out, <clears throat> uh, we went to lunch today, and uh, Jeff had mentioned that he hadn't really been to Indianapolis in a, in a long time. He just like, passes through. I said something about Blackacre, and he's like, oh, I remember. I was actually, I served him at yeah. Blackacre <laughs> in like 2017, 2018. Yeah, yeah. Like the end of 2017. And I never, I knew I had serve people from narrow gauge because uh i've been down the year before they were uh abraxas was releasing uh it's like my brother's favorite beer of all time and he needed a mm-hmm. proxy and i had nothing to do and love going to things that i don't have to pay for uh and he's like we're stopping at narrow gauge they've got the italian restaurant next to him they got narrow gauge next to him done I'm like okay that's fine and uh so when they came up to black acre i was like oh these guys are great and i started like showing their beers to all the all the people there and all that and then not once did i ever ask him about that his entire Wait, time yeah, but, yeah yeah, yeah. But, and then i think like when we first started talking it was it was very weird like we were already facebook friends just because i worked at a brewery but we never had actually met each other and but i was like I, their fucking beers are great and then when we started talking about opening the thing again it was a joke Let's see and if then, we can get perennial and no, narrow gauge. Well, really well, well, no, it was it was a joke. When he was at my house, we had talked about it, and then like it turned into like we'll just call it a tap room because we're not really anything. And then like a couple weeks went by, and then 
I talked to him. I go, hey, man, I think this could work. I was like, I hit up a couple of different people that I know. And I was like, I don't want to make your head too big. But <laughs> when I said, I talked to Jeff Narrowgage and he said he was going to be cool with it. I think we can make a business work out of just getting different breweries to do it. I was like, if Jeff, if Jeff says yes, I think we can get a bunch of people to say yes. Um, but and, I didn't even know, and I was telling him this too, I was like, once I know something, I take no extra time out of my life to figure anything else out because I know <laughs> what I know. Sure. So I know Narrow Gauge from going pretty much when they opened, and that was it. I just assumed mm. it was in some suburb of St. Louis. It wasn't side project. It wasn't perennial. It wasn't, um, you know, Schlafly. It wasn't all these places that have been around or have a big enough name or whatever in, in my head because they were new. Right. Like, these guys make better New England IPAs and anything I've had up in Indianapolis, because I was still, like, the early stages of New England's in general. I'm like, these are fucking awesome. So every time I went to St. Louis, I would drink there. So when he told me that Narrow Gauge was on board, in my head, I'm thinking, why would they not be there? A small brewery outside of St. Louis, this is probably a pretty good opportunity for them, uh, which seems arrogant and shitty. I mean, that's how (laughs) I look at it. To think about it, like, now, and then... um, we started releasing all this stuff on there about narrow gauge, and I saw the hype for it. And we, like, we, oh, we, did we literally went like I didn't. We didn't even know. I knew nobody from Perennial. We went there for to narrow meet gauge. with him, and then Drew Fox from 18th Street gave me Phil, one of the owners of Perennial, his information. So we made like a dual trip. Um, we try to cluster and make delivery easier, but sure. St. Louis. The whole point of St. Louis was narrow gauge. He, IPAs are his thing. Uh, they're not typically mine, which is was more impressive to him, I think, when I was like, oh, dude, Cloud City and Fallen Flag are incredible. He's like, you don't usually drink IPAs. I'm like, I don't drink them unless they're really good. Uh, but they had developed, they started doing a stout program and every stout that I had had for the, the couple years leading up to it. So it kind of takes a lot of our boxes. And then when we talked to them, we found they like meads and they're developing more like their sour programmers. Oh, this is great. So it was really just who do we love to go to that's within five hours of our house? Yeah. And Narrow Gauge was never, never not on that list when we started talking about states and cities and stuff like that. The minute we got to St. Louis, it was Narrow Gauge, then Perennial. Perennial. And then we joked about side product and we had to charge everybody $100 for a taster uh, <laughs> because I can't imagine how expensive any of that would be. But yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Well, we all love craft brew. That's that's why we kind of that's why I like talking to you guys. That's why you have this establishments or whatnot. But what was the first craft beer that hooked you? You know, because when I was in college, it was just like just drink the dirt shit and yeah, I can get a case of Natty Light for twelve dollars mm-hmm. in college. But then I had a I fat tire and still Natty Light. Still Natty Light. An exceptional summer more, beer when you're more Natty Light in college than anything else. <laughs> yeah, or Ice House, which we called Ice, ice House. Day, you drink yeah. too much, you piss <laughs> out your ass the next day. Uh, for me, it was fat tire because it, you know, I grew up in Florida, so there wasn't a lot of different craft brews. And then, of course, Sam had their stuff in Sierra Nevada, but fat tire was the one where I was like, hmm, that's yeah. that's crazy different. What was it for you? Um, I drank a lot of Boston Lager. Yeah. Uh, and then I lived in Portland, so there, but I moved when I was like 22, so it was like you'd hear about craft beer, and then I moved back, and then drank a lot of Boston Lager, and I, and then. I will say, like, me working at Bare Hands, like, or me discovering Bare Hands was, like, huge in that area. It was, you know, 
2011 when they opened. I probably knew about them mid 2012. Um, and yeah, just going to the local liquor store, being part of like the mix your own four pack, like month club, you know, you pay like 30 bucks a month or whatever. And they just give you a box of stuff and you just try it. So yeah. What'd you do? Um, uh, mine's the same as yours. So like yeah. the first craft beer I ever had was Bat Tire, uh, which was when I was in college. And it was like, let's let's spend a little extra money to get better beer. And we got Bat Tire, and like it was a great beer. Um, I didn't really jump into craft beer too much at that point until I actually started homebrewing. So uh, when I started homebrewing, it was more like the nerdy science aspect of it. So I wasn't. Super into craft beer at the time, um, but the need for bottles that I could cap that weren't like twist off. So like I couldn't drink Bud Light and recap them, anything like that. So, uh, and like buying empty bottles was damn near the same price as buying full bottles. So like that kind of sparked my interest in craft beer. So mm. I kind of used that as an outlet of like, I want to try a bunch mm. of different beers and New Belgium was like the first brewery I ran the gamut on. So anything New Belgium, I would buy a sick pack, drink it to gain mm. bottles, try different beers, which I don't think at the time I realized what I was doing was like trying a bunch of different beers, but that, that is what I was doing. Um, same thing with like Schlafly. So like Schlafly had a, like $11, 12 pack bottle mix sampler of all their beers. So like, I don't know how many of those I drank. Same thing with like founders at the time. So sure. I ran the, pretty much the whole product line of uh, new Belgium founders, Schlafly, like trying to get more or less bottles for homebrewing, which in turn, like kept like digging that hole and trying more stuff. And it, you, it you, became an obsession. You being, sure. you being a nerdy obsessive person. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> see that whatsoever. <laughs> how about you, Xavier? What was your what was your hook? Right, uh, so I didn't actually drink until I was twenty one. Uh, so I had a bunch of friends that had been doing the whole shitty beer thing for a really long time, and they were starting to drink better beer. I could not figure out why the hell anybody liked beer at all. Every time I drank it, like, this doesn't taste like candy. I don't, I don't <laughs> want it. Like if it wasn't like a mixed drink, I wasn't about it. And then uh, I went to Outback with a buddy from high school, and they had cream ale from something, and I. Already know uh, that's fine, uh, but I tasted it and I was like, "Oh, this doesn't taste like yeah. garbage, absolute dog shit." I'm like, "This is actually..." I don't even know why I ordered it. I think it's because he ordered one, and I was just so sick of people talking shit to me about only ordering like sex on the beach or whatever fruity thing I could drink. Because I'm like, I just want the alcohol and for it to taste like candy, uh, which has developed a lot of match my actual. That's a, the way. That's the way he drinks beer. Yeah. Uh, if it doesn't the, give me diabetes, it, I don't want it. But <laughs> so, Cream uh, uh, Ale from Sun King was really the first beer I tried that I didn't like, and then or that I did like. And then uh, my brother was super into craft beer. He he went to Purdue, um, and he joined up a, a group of people up there. And uh, you then, know, he that, that, then he worked at Hop. Then he worked at Hop. He worked at Hop But he met yeah. Jesse Rice up uh, up at. Purdue, like the guy that owns like Black Circle and Loom and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. He's known him for a really long time. They had this beer group up there and he invited me up there one day and he looked me in the face and goes, you don't like this shit? You're here to have fun with us? You can drink what we don't drink. So I'm sitting at the end of the table just drinking the dregs of whatever was left in these bottles. I'm like, none of these taste bad. 
this is incredible. So when he invited me to Winterfest uh, that year, uh, I've just been walking around. I was trying stuff. Some of that was good. Winterfest was... is the Indiana. Yeah, if anybody listening is not from Probably. Indianapolis, uh, <laughs> we have two annual beer festivals. One of them is uh, right before Super Bowl Sunday, and then the other one's in the summer. And it's just all the breweries from the state and close to it do a bunch of uh, uh, huge beer fest thing. And I've been walking around. It was the end of the night. And uh, Blackacre was there, and everybody's in jumpsuits like they're from Top Gun. So I was just like, this is an interesting place. And I walked over there, and they had a, uh, a Belgian whip beer that they put Earl Grey tea in. Oh, wow. Incredible. I was hmm. like, this is, oh, this is what people can do. They can add stuff to beer so that it doesn't taste like kind of sour vomit. This is great. Uh, their <laughs> anniversary was about a week and a half after that. And uh, uh, one of our bartenders actually has worked at Black worked at Black Acre, and she worked with me, and she was my boss for a little bit. Um, she was started serving there the first anniversary I went to, and I found a booth and I sat there, and uh, she said something to us about to me about oh do you have more people coming? I'm like yes, I will be here all day. She didn't think I would be, and I got there at noon and I left at midnight, and I tried every single thing that they released all day and most of it. So I mean, I really mm. credit, unfortunately. Sun King Cream Ale, so showing me that beer doesn't have to taste bad, but then uh, Black Acre really showed me that you can add and then you stuff worked at, to And then you beer. worked at Black Acre. And then I worked there, because it was yeah. what got me into craft beer, so I mean, the minute you can add stuff to beer, I was like, oh, this this changes the game. This is a real mm-hmm. thing. It's not just my grandpa has an empty 12-pack of Bud Light sitting around the house, because he just drinks that like it's water. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, adjuncts. Best part of beer. That's it. More, more adjectives, the better Xavier likes them. That is true. Well, that kind of bleeds in. Next question, like I love what I like about the craft brew space is the creativity that goes into a lot of the names. You know, as I'm drinking a, a white bread here. You know, as far as how you guys come up with the names of the beer, Jeff, what's Narrow Gauge's kind of methodology behind behind the names? Uh, yeah, so we kind of run the gamut on that. So uh, we. Like, wide band was something that came from Eric. Like, that was a suggestion from him. So, anytime we're doing a collab, like, I hate naming beers. So, the first thing I try to do is pawn off that desk. So, I don't have to it. <laughs> uh, but, like, I don't uh, even know. Like, I don't even know how I came up with that. <laughs> I think it was just the fact that, like, I'm a, I am also kind of a nerd. Yeah, and yeah. so, like, that's a term. Like, ultra wide band. Like, in cell stuff. Like, Wideband is just a the term in audio and yeah. sometimes like frequency waves and that's what the label is and stuff. So, uh, I and guess. it fit their it fit their like already kind of black and white like kind of their theme of beers. Sorry, we have people walking through. The <laughs> scene. We we still are conducting business. It's right all good, now, man. So. No, um, like, it gave so me we good, have multi-cam. We can, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it gave me a good thing to run with. So, like, he, he kind of came up with the idea and the concept. So, like, I could build a label out of it. But uh, as far as, like, other beers, some of them stint back to more, like, historical names. So, like, Fallen Flag, uh, which is, like, our flagship IPA, actually kind of is an ode to the name of the brewery, Narrow Gauge. Um a fallen flags basically a no longer in service railroad station. So 
within St. Louis or within Florissant where we were at, uh, the narrow gauge railroad station still exists. So you can still visit what that railroad station is. It isn't where it was at the time, but it is still a building you can see and that technically is a fallen flag. So like that beer name comes from a historic tie, whereas we have beer names like OJ Run. So like most people think like OJ Simpson, <laughs> he's on the run in the white Bronco and that nothing to do with that beer name. Okay. So OJ Run. Uh, I didn't even a, think about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but I don't even know if you guys know what OJ Run is. I have I explain to you guys what OJ Run is. I'm only, so, just no. so you know, I'm only telling people now if they ever ask me. I'm like, remember when OJ Simpson <laughs> it's basically he was running from the police. That's all I'm telling people. Yeah, like people are like tie them. And I'm like, why would I name a beard? There's an orange. I assume it was a running back too. So yeah, historically runs. Orange juice. Somebody said I gotta go on an OJ run. That's more what I thought people would say. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Somebody needed orange juice. That's you. Go, you're going on a beer run, but if you don't drink beer, you're going on an orange juice run. So that's what I thought most people would believe that beer because, like, you look at the beer, it kind of looks like. Orange juice. But in actuality, it's a reference to a road in Florissant called Old Jamestown. So there's a, like, country roads of Florissant. Uh, there's a road called Old Jamestown that's probably about three miles long. So it runs kind of down the bluff uh, area of, uh, like, Missouri River. So in high school, kids would go on OJ runs. So they would basically ride the whole length of OJ old Jamestown and smoke a joint. Ah. So they would call that an OJ run. <laughs> so like that's where that name comes from. Uh, we have one like Rocket Appliances which is a Trailer Park Boys reference. So we, we have musical references. We have mm. movie references. We have city references. Um, kind of like I said, I hate naming beers so if I can find something to latch on to help me do that uh, that's generally what I do and it, it typically leans into the things that I enjoy so I enjoy music I enjoy movies I enjoy smoking weed with friends like all of it so uh, it all kind of ties ties together fantastic well you guys have uh, both you guys have worked in various different spots and seen a lot of good beer come through and I'm sure you tasted some bad beer Jeff I'm sure with a home brewing background yeah. you know what's on the you know, marquee up there are your successes, right? But, sure. you know, successes come out of failure sometimes. What's a fun story around maybe a failure that you had that maybe led to something that's in your lineup today? And for oh, you man. two, what, you know, when you have somebody come in and says, hey, this is a new beer of the month, we're going to try this, and then, you know, you can't really push it because you don't have the confidence in it. So what would you say? Oh, I will say, first off, that does not happen. Because we were, people ask us all the time, how do you pick the brewery? How do you do this? How do you do that? Uh, and a lot of people think because we use untapped as our menu board mm. that we look at untapped ratings to decide if we want to pick a brewery or not. And I'm not going to say that that won't ever play a part in it because there's a bunch of breweries out there and we only know yeah. <laughs> what we know. But everybody we picked so far, it's because we believed in their brand and their product. So we did it curate anything based off of ratings but if we picked a brewery it's because we know that the beers usually like hit so we're not i don't think we've had a beer on at all that somebody's drank and been like this is bad now him he deals more with the hoppy side of things i'm not the go-to on that 
Just uh, just sit right down here in the middle. Get yeah, over here. Yeah, you just want to sit on the floor? You have actually part of this, too. <laughs> Get in here. Got space for you. What do you drink that's so dark? That is a full It's a beer with on draft from narrow gauge. Perfect. That sounds so good. Porter? Yeah. Oh, that would make more sense. I don't know what's here. I don't work here. It's the fine. more the merrier. We're adding guests as we do this, my man. We'll explain who this is in a moment, because he okay. was actually very crucial to our, to our, our uh, business uh, venture. Our success as it, as it is now. But, uh, yeah, we didn't pick people that we don't believe in their product. And if I believe in your product, there's never an opportunity where I'm going to try to sell something that I don't believe in. Hobbier mm-hmm. stuff, Eric will drink. Darker stuff, I will drink. We're both pretty even on like our mid malts and you know Sours we call and... them crispy boys for our, like our lagers and stuff. Like we both have drank enough and worked enough in the industry, we know what something is supposed to taste like yeah. or all flavors or things like that. So I mean. Um, it hasn't happened yet. There hasn't been a brewery. There have been times where someone's like, would you drink this? I'm like, would I drink it? No. If you like this style of beer, they killed it. This is just not my go-to. So for us, I don't think that's a question we can – I can't answer that because I don't think we put anything on that yeah. I wouldn't – Drink. That I wouldn't drink or get behind from that kind of standpoint because this mm. is – this is a passion project for us. I mean, it's it's beer, man. Like this is what yeah. this is what we've spent our own money on. This is what we spent our own time on. This is what we did for somebody else to pay us. You know, him a bit longer than I did, but you know, I don't I don't go into this ever thinking I'm not going to back somebody's product because at the end of the day, even if it's something that may be, we'll say subpar, since that feels like a better word than bad. Uh, these breweries took a chance on us to do something that no one else is doing. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would never push something that I don't believe in, which is zero of the breweries we have, or even the one we have. Yeah, lined up. Which I don't know if that really answers your question. I feel no, like it does because you guys are curating the scene. <laughs> I mean, then, there's, I mean, there's, yeah. I mean, you have to think like we have. I mean, we had Listerman in August, super stout and super pastry stout heavy, dark beers, things like that. Narrow Gauge is a super New England style IPA heavy, but we try to pick breweries that also can <laughs> provide. They're gonna. Every brewery focuses on like one style of beer that they're really really good at, um, but then also provide a range of styles that are all still fabulous beers, but they're that's not what like brought them I guess to fame. Mm. If that's a good way to put it, you know, like no, hundred percent. Like I mean, uh, that's your that's dark mild. Your dark, dark, your dark, mild. your dark mild beer was fabulous. Do people Thank come you. to your door and pound on your door and be like, Fuck Jeff, no. give me more <laughs> dark mild? But we show up and we say, Hey, yeah. give, give me a multi backbone. Like, give me more this. dark mild <laughs> beers at three point two percent. You're like, I have this thing that is this what you're looking for? We're like. I'm gonna, go, so? I'm gonna go grab a, a lager out of the cooler. So. We'll, yeah, uh, why don't we take we'll a? Yeah, why don't we take? We're right at the camera shutting off. So why don't we take a break, refill the beers, and come back? Oh. Okay, that work. All right. Well, introduce me to Eddie, man. Give my. Hold on. Yeah. Before the break, okay. you asked Jeff about some bad beers that he had. Done. Oh yes, I'd and love I to hear this very story. Excited to do that. Yes. He was, he wanted to tell you about all the bad beer before the good beer the ended up happening. Man. Yeah. Let's <laughs> let's hear a fun story around a uh, crash and burn. Oh shit. Um. So we try and dump all the stuff that sucks, but there are the occasions that I think a beer is good and it should go, and the market tells me it shouldn't have gone. Uh, and I've had a couple beers. Wait, 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 wait! You dump beer? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 
don't tell don't don't tell me that. <laughs> the beer doesn't meet our like. But that doesn't happen very often, does it? No. Okay. Good. Okay. Not very often at all. Um, so, like, we've made like within the beer industry, there's always like I want to try something different. So, like, one of the the first beers that we made as narrow gauge that was a flop was a like super low ABV hazy IPA. So I had the mentality like I want to make a three to three and a half percent hazy IPA. Maybe it's a blonde, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Like you yeah. can take any name that it wants. Uh, so the idea was like I want to make this real low ABV beer you can drink all day and we'll call it hop water. Which is off terrible name and it's own. Like people hated it because of the name. They hated it. Which there's like a bunch of hop waters now. I think Lagunitas makes the hop water. Urban Chestnut in St. Louis is making a hop water. But we made this like three ish percent IPA called Hop Water. And I'm like, this is awesome for three percent. But the problem is, is we still put the same amount of hops in it that we put in a seven percent beer, which is oh. the bulk of the cost. Wow. So like we can't charge. Four dollars, a tiny amount for <laughs> this four pack. Yeah, and actually make money. Uh, and like, was it good though? Like, for what it was, like I was extremely happy with how it turned. Oh, okay. Out. Otherwise, I wouldn't release it. Okay. Uh, but like, because that just sound that just sounds like oh man, that's just like that's hoppy as fuck with no like no backbone whatsoever. But which it was that way to a degree. So okay. like, it finished a, it finished a little dry. Um, Drier than what I was shooting for, but not like super dry. But like people wrecked that beer; they fucking hated it. Uh, and that was definitely like the first beer we flopped on as a, as a brewery, and it was mm-hmm. like it didn't feel good. Don't get me wrong; like the the first beer you make, that like the overall consensus is it sucks. Uh, it wasn't an enjoyable feeling. Um, so that was kind of like the first foray and into a beer that wasn't good like obviously there was home brews but that was me in my basement sure afraid to share this beer with anyone so it didn't matter anyways i was the only guy that knew it sucked whereas like hundreds of people thousands of people how many ever people tried that beer and thought it sucked um but you were still in a basement though Oh, yeah, yeah. True. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, all in all, you're always in a basement. Yeah. We're in a basement right now. Yeah, yeah. We are. Yeah. Indeed. Jeff so, shows out basement town. Yeah. But I'm also in the mentality, like, if, if you're you're going about that, uh, and you, if you never make a beer that people don't like, then you're not kind of pushing the boundaries of what sure. you're going to do. So, like, the beers that we've had flopped were, like, we want to push an extreme idea try something different sometimes it kicks ass sometimes it doesn't like the dark mild was a very scary thing like it was the first beer we did under three and a half percent in a long time and it was like a passion project of mine very good though yeah, thank you <laughs> like like that's a it's a big project of mine is uh, i want to make every single style of beer in the bjcp guidelines and that was one that's been on my radar for a while and it's i want to do this as traditional the style do i know what people are gonna think of it no uh it could flop it could not and like that was a success story versus like some of the ones that are like people are gonna fucking be thrilled about this uh they hate it so uh like yeah you learn to listen to your audience right for sure and i mean 
If you if you want to go about your passions, you're always gonna have failures. So if you don't, if you're not willing to accept your failures, then you should probably move on. Sure. Uh, like not do maybe that. That's harsh, but uh, it's fun being know, a mad scientist. I'm gonna make a shitty beer again. Like it happens. Like yeah. we make mediocre beers, we make great beers, we make shitty beers. It is what it is. But uh, it's all a matter of kind of like pushing what you want to do and trying different things and whether that's traditional or something innovative that you want to try. I think a lot of the problem is too, is like in the beer industry now, it's like so many people are like, so many people are on untapped and things like that. Like they're too many people judge stuff that they can't judge thing on stylistically being correct. Yeah. Untapped's a tough one where like a new England style IPAs, which is predominantly what we make is in the four to five range. Like, if you have a New England uh, a style IPA and it doesn't fall within the four to five star range, like, it sucks. Which, you can make a, the best lager in the world and it's a 375, and that's, like, prime. The best one ever. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, you get a 3 4 lager and you're like, that's a really good lager. Yeah. It's like rotten tomatoes with comedies. If they're yeah. over 22%, they're probably insanely good, but if they're at least over 8%, it's worth going to the movies yeah. to watch it. It's a really weird scale for things. Yeah, and that's 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 honestly what I hate about Untap. Um, like, I get what it is. I get why people enjoy it. It's a good way to log your stuff. But, like, there's a lot of unfair treatment towards categories. And I see, like, great breweries. Like, there's breweries that make only those styles of beers. And they carry a 375 rating. And for the beers they make, that's an insanely good rating. Whereas, like, the breweries that are making only a certain style of beer that are the high beers, uh, they're rated a 4-2, like, which, where we're at. And most of our beers were New England styles, and we continue to try and roll stuff in. But, like, if we were not making those beers, we wouldn't hold a 4-2. Mm. And I know that. So, like, if, if it was all the traditional style beers, and you look at that as a rating hole, like, we're probably sitting at a 3-7 as well. Uh, and that's kind of a little bit of an unfair advantage. Understood. So how does Eddie fit into you guys' relationship here? So I want to start this off with, I'm not sure the last name they keep telling me is his actual last name. There's no way it is. At all. I wasn't born Eddie. That's not not what I was talking about. (laughs) Edward? So, Kevin. Uh, Is your middle name Eddie or Edward? That's Scott. The fuck did Eddie come from? We'll talk, I don't know we'll anything. I don't know anything about Eddie. Apparently, uh, this is Eddie. Hey, Were you a Maiden fan? You're an Iron Maiden fan. You just you want to look at Tommy? You want to look at the, the undead mascot? Eddie came here from the Five Heartbeats, man. I don't know what any of those words meant. Probably before you were born. I don't either. Robert but... Townsend. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, it's one of his movies. It's fantastic. Gotta watch it. Okay. Great soundtrack. Perfect. I will. I will accept that as fact because I'm never gonna. <laughs> that being said, uh, Eddie, I say Eddie is Craft Roads, that's wrong. Eddie works there in a higher up capacity, but they are our distributors who are helping us uh, make sure we get the beer into the, the state. states. Mm-hmm. That, we, that we want. Yeah, Indy's a three-tier system, so you have to go uh, brewery, I'll say middleman, and then... Us. The account. 
So right. since we are not a brewery, we don't make our own stuff. We have to get everything sent to us. We have to do that through a distributor unless they are, yeah, unless mm-hmm. they are in state and we have had some breweries from in state that do self distribution and we can just get them to bring us the beer then, but otherwise we have to go through Eddie. So Eddie has put up with uh, Eric and I's bullshit since, oh Jesus Christ, December. Cause we keep telling people, we're like, hey, we open in April. And then I'm like, well, I'm way more tired than opening in April. And it's because <laughs> Eric and I, did our articles in corporation the weekend no. after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Or no, like the Wednesday after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Like a week it after was Thanksgiving. In November, yeah. We did our articles of incorporation. I made this whole thing with my wife that if, by the time I'm 30, I'm not going to, if I haven't opened a bar, I'm not going to do it. And he texted me about three days before my birthday and goes, We have an idea that's going to work. So I was like, Cool. Uh, I'll have been 30 for one week. I consider that a success. <laughs> Because me and my brother talked about it forever, and then he decided he wanted to sell cell phones, which biggest industry in the world, that's fine. Uh, so now Eric gets to be part of my family, whether or not my wife is a fan of that. Uh, <laughs> my wife's not really a fan of you being a part of our family either. So Yeah, it's, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, We're both terrible people. I wouldn't put that on anybody. And uh, our wife shouldn't even put up with us, but yeah. here they are. But we had to go to Eddie before we really the, got the, the ball rolling. Like, really all we did was our... Articles of incorporation, we want to make sure since a tap room was just so generic, which it's one of those that's like, it's so generic, nobody picked it because why the hell would you do that? Yeah, a taproom.com. How did I buy that? For, I don't know. Yeah, for 15 bucks. Yeah, it was dumb because uh, it's confusing <laughs> and most people wouldn't do it. And I thought it was funny because I and it happened. It, and I know this is a side tangent off of Eddie, but this is one of my favorite <laughs> stories ever. The whole thing for the a tap room thing was always the who's on first, like oh, Abbott yeah, and Kevin. Costello. Sure. Thing. And I thought, he said something, I go, first off for us, we're nobody. Go, we have no branding. We have no anything. We are a satellite tap room for the brands we want to bring in. We want to showcase them. And we want them to know that we are not trying to interfere with any part of their their branding. Like, you, you'll walk up there and obviously our art's on the walls. And uh, we let our, our bartenders or whoever's working pick the music. And that may not always fall in line with what the brewery wants, but from a we are this brewery standpoint that was super important so i'm like we're generic we're nobody and the second part of that is like i want to confuse everyone when they say where are you and somebody says a tap room and they're like but where and i was like it's like who's on first which from a business standpoint looking back on it now is kind of dumb because people literally don't know who or what we are or where we are but a guy was on his cell phone in here may may or june and he's talking to somebody and he goes I'm at a tap room, and then I don't know what the other person's at. I'm not on the phone, but I hear him go, no, that's the name of it. I'm not not telling you where I am because I don't want you to know where I am. I'm at a tap room. It is on Delaware Street. That is the name of it, a tap room. Why would I lie about that? And he's just yelling at this person on the phone because they're so confused and think that he's being dishonest. And I'm like, if that never happens again, it happened one time, and that is perfect. So... That's where the name came in. Talking about, oh, we had to go to Eddie. Before. Even even before we did anything, I said, Eddie, can you make this happen for us or we don't have a business? Yeah. Yeah, so but wait, really one point, I thought it was a tap room. What did I say? A tap room? A tap room, oh, a tap okay. room. Yeah. So tomato, a, tomato. <laughs> it's like Xavier, Xavier. We'll accept both. I we don't care. Know. People ask me, mm-hmm. I don't care. Yeah, right? I don't have no idea. Just show up. 
But yeah, we basically signed our articles in so, corporation yeah. just to make sure our, our names and everything were good. He's known Eddie for a while. I've known of, of Eddie. I haven't, I didn't know him, know him before this, but uh, basically once we started, we were just like, hey, if you can't do this, we've got a fun URL and a, and a cool LLC name, uh, but we don't have a business. So uh, yeah. Eddie being able, were we Starlight before this? Yeah, I, I've been in the industry 22 years, and if I've learned anything, is that I don't know anything. I have no <laughs> idea what's working in today's world. It's, you know, the tail's wagging the dog. Yeah. Consumers are deciding oh, yeah, what beer sure. works yeah. and, and what's happening. But like We see that every day. Yeah, one of the biggest threats to the industry is wholesaler consolidation. We have fewer wholesalers now than we've had in, in decades, and mm-hmm. that's increasing. It's in all industries, consolidation's happening. Sure. And, and it's a challenge, and so we're a small wholesaler here in the state of Indiana. And the larger wholesalers, they, they wouldn't want to work with this model. It doesn't work for them. Like They want to do higher volume. They, it takes a lot of work to set up individual products and, and brands within our software and get all that set up. So it's not, it's not a financial move for us. What it is is, is is helping small businesses come together. And it's all about people. The beer business is yeah. about people. So it's getting great beer to more people and helping to elevate beer. Beer's been under attack by the spirits industry for decades spirits and wine and beer sales continue to decline so we need we need a bigger variety and more excitement to bring people back into the beer category so we're happy to be a part of that i'm happy to be a part of that and work with these two are a pleasure they they think they 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 (laughs) again that's a funny word (laughs) they they don't they're they're true pleasure and they're doing something that that i love and i appreciate that's happening in our market and uh, helping bring great brands in as well so um i like to give them hard time sometimes but i'm really happy to help them out yeah it just means more people in indiana exposed to to better beer i mean you go around to other places and it, it's it's insane i think a big shift in indiana changed three years ago now with sunday sales i think a lot of the reason a lot of bigger brands didn't come to the state of indiana is because you had 52 days out of the year that were dead shelf space right you couldn't sell on sunday yeah so you had 52 you had one seventh of the year you can't sell product, and so now Indiana is now just becoming a place where all of these other medium to I'll say medium to large craft breweries that are big in the game yeah. that are like oh well we can like there's plenty of them that are in way across the country that are in Michigan Ohio Kentucky Illinois but they're not in Indiana. That was a culture all, shock to me. Moving up from Florida was couldn't go buy a, a beer on Sunday unless I went straight to the brewery, which yeah. there were very few that were open on Sundays. So that was a culture shock to me. I'm like, what the hell? I can't. Or if I have to go to a gas station, then I got to get it warm, and that made well, yeah, no sense to me. Yeah, we're the only state that still regulates beer sales by temperature. Yeah, and you know, beer freshness matters, and, and, and storage temperature matters, particularly with the the hazy IPAs that are out mm-hmm. there now. And, yeah. And, the, the heavy hop beers and but most of the beer sold or a huge amount of the beer sold in the state of indiana is not so cold so yeah. it's like putting gallons of milk out there and not putting it refrigerated and mm. uh, that's that's an extreme example it's but, bad for us it can be warm milk yeah yeah <laughs> i can't anytime i go like uh for my son's lunch there's chocolate milk that he really likes but they're shelf stable and they're just on the shelf at kroger and every time i buy them I refrigerate them, but just knowing that if I didn't, he could drink them never in the refrigerator creeps me out. Don't like it. <laughs> Get-Go's helped us a lot, though, because they're a restaurant, 
So any get-go that's eating all the rickers up, they sell all their beer in the fridge because they can because they're a restaurant. They're not a they're not a convenience store. They're a mm-hmm. restaurant because they serve hot food. So yay for Indiana loopholes. But <laughs> yeah, like Eric was saying, uh, I think Indy's a really underserved market for variety, whether mm-hmm. it is a perceived issue or a functional issue. Um, when we started this too, we, we had said that we wanted to, uh, we wanted to highlight the brands that we like that aren't here or that don't have great distribution inside of Indianapolis because we've used uh, Indiana breweries, but Indiana, I think is a bigger state than a lot of people give it credit for. Sure. Uh, considering that- Some of the uh, the first three breweries we used were two farther away, away than, than Streetside Cincinnati. Yeah. Cincinnati breweries were. Cincinnati's mm-hmm. two hours away, but South Bend, Gary, Fort Wayne are all two plus. But they uh, they distributed some here, right? And then Eris had a little beaver shirt on and they were- uh, They're two and a half make, hours away. But they yeah. were wanting to make some more headway into the state when they reached out to us and said, hey, you know, we've just gotten in Indiana. Uh, we're really trying to look for some better sell-through on our product. Do you guys think you could help us with that? Because one of the hardest things coming into a state where all these people are trying to come in at one time is you know, shelf equity, right? So you go into a, a, a liquor store of any kind and you look at the shelf. You've got your staple brands. I mean, and we're, we joke about this all the time. We're a little spoiled. We have 18th Street and Three Floyds everywhere. And there's states around the country that would just kill to have, you know, our shelf terms that we just mm-hmm. leave out and don't drink anymore because we're like, yeah. we've had them a million times. But then you go and you look at certain brands. Um, Lil Beaver has a beaver on all of their cans and it's a little bit more cartoony. Mm-hmm. Why would somebody want to drink that? They don't really know what it is. So we said threefold. We want to bring brands we love to the state. We want to give a voice to the people that can't get here for whatever reason within the state. So like the smaller microwave breweries that are doing really good product and aren't far from here, but their their uh, market awareness is next to none because they don't have the means. But if somebody wanted to go 45 minutes the same way they would for like 450 North or uh, even Hoosier from here, sure. those are 30, 45 minutes away. You know, we've got, we've got Pax Verum that's really close here. Somebody that we, yeah, we've talked Jason to and, Colt. you know, we, we, I've known Colt for a little bit. My brother used to work with him. I know, I never know how long Eric's known people. I just assume they've never been forever. <laughs> but you know, there's, there's breweries like that that are close that we're like, yeah. Hey, we would love to give you a, a spotlight. And like with Will Weaver, we're like, Hey, yeah, if you, your beer's good. Nobody knows what it is. They want to try it on draft. As long as we think the beer is good, yeah. what I hope is that we eventually become the place that if nobody knows the people we're bringing in, they know that, oh, well, those guys like good beer. You're not bringing bad beer. We're not bringing bad beer in. You yeah. know, like, Definitely. so you're creating a culture of community, right? And that's, this is, you know, I'm a big believer in this, that relationships transcend any transaction. And as you, you know, that seems to be a common thread when I talk to everybody in this industry is this sense of community. You guys are located in a very walkable location. And, you know, with respect to narrow gauge, Jeff, you probably have a community that's pretty closely up there. What does that word mean to you guys as you kind of develop this business model? What does community mean to you? That's our business model. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean, even know how else, to, how else to say it. I mean, he's three and a half hours away, and I've been drinking his beer for six years. We've got- well, we, we have two sides of community. We have so, our business relationship of community. We've been in beer mm-hmm. for so long, and we're working with these people. But then we're also in a very neighborhood, walkie, like you said, yeah. neighborhood bar. Um, 
where Xavier and I, funny enough, we both live in the exact same town. We live in the suburbs. We live in Plainfield. So we're like 25 minutes away. But, um, you know, we're, we're really invested. We're both family men, no matter what, how we look. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we're going to, like, for Halloween, we're going to do out front. Like, there's kids that live in this neighborhood. Right. Even though it's we're just north of downtown, like... We're going to do some Halloween stuff. We're going to hand out candy. We're going to hand out gift certificates to the adults for beer. And, like, like the the people that we employ, we, we do 401ks. We do all sorts of stuff that's not a norm for not a bar. Standard. Yes. Yeah. So. We do guaranteed pay for both full-time and part-time. Whether, I don't even know if part-time even knows at this point that they have guaranteed pay. I tried to tell them it's their part-time job. Maybe they listened to me. Maybe they didn't. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I think it's it's our actual community. You talk about the people that are within walking a distance. ten to fifteen minute walk of us because that happens a lot. You talk about our our staff and our employees as community because and family. We don't have we don't have the time. He did it at first. Like he 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 does this a, more now than he did uh, when we started. But he between his his rental properties and his IT business. And he was literally distributing from basically Michigan to, to, to Kentucky to fucking into the boot in Indiana for bare hands. Uh, he was pretty wrapped up. I tell people uh, since the, the pandemic, uh, both of our wives are nurses, but my wife uh, went into contract nursing and I didn't have a job. Right, like I ended up leaving Blackacre due to there was a fire and there was just some other things right before COVID. But I would have lasted another three weeks before I left because COVID would have hit and they furloughed everybody anyway mm-hmm. uh, until they could figure out what they needed to do. And so I still wouldn't have had a job. So first and foremost, I'm actually a, a stay-at-home dad. Like that's my my first job is you now I had to figure out doctor's appointments and school shit and who needs haircuts and trying to figure out how to get everybody's laundry done and listen to everybody complain about cooking and all this. I didn't have time to be here really either. I just had more time to do stuff. And we sit in this room and everybody sees the TV and the couch and everything. I built this for my kids so mm-hmm. I could bring them here and they could watch TV for two hours if I had to work. But without our staff, we couldn't do this. Mm-hmm. So we've made sure that our full-time people don't, they want to side hustle, that's on them, but this is their full-time job. We want them to be set up for now in the future. And then our beer community, like we've said throughout this entire podcast, is people that we believe in and have a good product, even if they know they have a good product. If you ask Jeff, he's a pretty humble dude. He'll be like, yeah, we fucked some stuff. No, they're not a 4-2 because they make New England. They're a 4-2 because they make some of the best fucking beer in the Midwest. Like, that's yeah. not, it's not debatable. You ask him, cool. I'm glad that he doesn't have <laughs> a head the size of the fucking room. But they make some of the best beer in the Midwest, but... You know, (laughs) between them and, and, you know, we've got some cool brands, but we want to support the people that we believe in and know that they do well. So I think community is always a very interesting. And that's why we, that's why we always go meet with everybody when we, when we talk to a brewery and if we haven't known them in some capacity, um, we kind of stop them at the, like, if logistically this will work for you, cool, cool. But we're going to come talk to you, sit down with you, have a conversation, and make sure that like, you know, you're not a you're not a, a not a not a bad person too. Right? Like, you're not a bad. You know, we have a. I mean, Jeff would contest to this that I 
I mean, I text him way more than I probably should all the time. I'm talking way more this month than probably anyone. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we have to make sure that, like, the relationship works because if it doesn't, then it's, I mean, you're basically entering a business partnership for yeah. not even 30 days, 45 to 60 days, really, planning. planning. And, yeah. yeah. And or so, ask Chris from Windmill or Garrett from Streetside. Uh, we haven't left them alone. No, almost the entire twenty twenty one year. So it's just like you're now our you're now our friends forever. We don't have your name though, so we just text you and say, "Hey, we're just going to come through and annoy you for a few hours." And most of the time, people don't tell us they're busy, so yeah. I think that's okay. Could be, um, but like, but again, like coming into the place and like if I go into a place and it's like just a bad vibe, like we obviously don't want to work with you. Like if there's been lots of cancel culture that's been going around. It's like, if, if, if whether that's good, that's the wrong term for everybody listening. (laughs) While cancel culture is a thing in the industry, there's a lot of good reasons that people have been speaking up about brands that we have all loved. And then we find out how they do things and how they treat their people or how they interact with the community that are not okay. That's not cancel culture. That's justifiable cancel. I just want to make sure Perfect. Okay. Um, I mean, if you're just not a, if you don't vibe with us, if you're not about our same vision, we may not want to work with you, whether you make good beer or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that word vision. So last question for you guys. And when I sit down with clients for the first time, each time we meet, it's, I like to use three years as a perspective. So when I sit down with somebody for the first time, I often ask them, you know, if we were to meet again in three years, what do you want to see accomplished either professionally economically, emotionally, whatever, that if we meet again in three years, we can look back and say our time spent was valuable. As it pertains to the brand you're building here at a tap room, what do you want to see take place over the next three years that if we sat down again, you could look back and say, we're on the right path. We're creating a community here. We're doing everything we set out to do. What does that look like in your mind? And then Jeff, you can give us a flavor of what you expect from narrow gauge for the next three years. kind of. So for me, it looks like bringing brand awareness to, to, to India for brands that aren't here, Mm -hmm. giving, um, our employees and staff, this industry doesn't really, especially bartenders and, and things like that don't normally have people that think about future, their paycheck, what's today, what's, what's tomorrow. And that's a, about it not what's in five years 10 years 20 years if you want to go to college if you want to if you want to invest in whatever um how can i if this is what you want to do for the rest of your life awesome if this is not what you want to do for the rest of your life tell me what it is let me help you get there that's number two and then i think number three would just be have a good time because life's too short so yeah, I mean, I think I think the only thing that I have that is either more specific to what Eric said in or just a little bit different is um, I've worked at places, and I know he's worked at places. I've been going to breweries from the inception. Um, DBA always comes to mind. I remember when I used to go in there, and there was four people in there, and I'm like, these are some of the best stouts I've ever had, ever. And I'm... Yeah incredibly picky and then 
I see them now, and they've been able to double their floor plan. They they have bottle releases. They have all this shit, and I know that they make it. And the the sense and pride of, of making something. I tried to brew beer. Uh, I'm I'm bad at it. I know I'm bad at it. I can't do it. Um, but I've always wanted to bring a unique product to people, just personally, whether it's like food or drink or whatever it is. And I keep making jokes that we're, we're the uh, the Amazon or the drop shipping of the beer world uh, because we're just bringing other people's shit in. But it's stuff that I I have spent my money, thousands of my own yeah. dollars on my time, um, finding childcare, doing all this stuff. So I think I think for me, and Eric, Eric kind of mentioned it a little bit before, where people just kind of trust us that we're bringing good stuff in. I want to be able to walk in any given day and there be no empty seat in my bar. Not from a money standpoint. I don't care if everything on, on the menu that day is $2. I don't care if the only thing everybody's drinking is Underberg and not even the beer that we have on draft that day. I just, <laughs> right, You, it is appalling how much Underberg we sell, which is why that's just a fun joke. Uh, but I think, I think for me, if it's three years from now, you know, whether it's this building, whether we have to get a bigger building, whether we have to, you know, do whatever it is. I hope we built such a sense of community um, and trust in, in our vision that I can walk in almost any day during peak times of restaurant timing. And my seats aren't empty, that people are enjoying themselves, that they're coming in and they're getting to, to appreciate an idea while being a joke. You keep, we, how many times have we heard it, man? Like, every time somebody comes in, like, why hasn't somebody else thought of that before? We're like, they have thought of it before. But it's a logistical is, nightmare. This enough. is a logistical nightmare. Nobody's insane enough to do it. Yeah. Right? Because it's really, yeah. If you talk to anybody that we've worked with, yeah. I don't think anybody's going to badmouth us, but they're going to be like, those guys are a lot. Because that's just how we operate. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. like it's, a, it's a tough business concept in general. Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's it's so much change. It's so much education. It's so much, if it wasn't passion, there's no reason for anybody to do this. And, and whether I make... We're going to ask Jeff wage, to do this again next year, and we're going to do double dry hop wide band. Yes. That's what we're going to do. That's all we're going to order for the whole month. We're going to have double dry hop wide band. And, and hot water. I want hot water. Hot water. Hot water. Yeah, got to get that hot water. I got to try that now. I got to try that. Same beer. 12 different adjuncts. How about how about you, Jeff? What do you what do you think about uh, that three, that question? Three years from now, um, that's tough. Like we have a lot of stuff. Uh, He's got a lot of things in the fire uh, yeah. as far as like relocation efforts and whatnot. But um, they have a building. Even, they have a building yeah. like right next to the. Yeah, not here. <laughs> I'm saying. No, I know. Uh, no, like we we bought a space a couple of doors down. We've been trying to move into a little bit. We've had. Um, some snafus with uh, some of the infrastructure to the building that's uh, delayed us quite a bit. So um, we're, we're down near a year past what we thought we'd be in that building. Uh, about three years from now, hopefully we're there. If we're not, then we probably don't have that building anymore, uh, which is fine too. Or we're doing something else with it. But um, I would I would say overall, like three years as a business for us, it's. Uh, kind of continue doing what we're doing so uh we've kind of like chased the let's do what we can to gain a name for ourselves type thing but uh, i think over the duration of the next few years it's more like back to the basics do this stuff 
what I got into the industry for. So um, making the beers I want to make, regardless of if that's the what people want or not. Um, sure. As long as enough people are willing to back that. <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I got into brewing beer because I enjoyed the science. I enjoyed the different styles. I enjoyed all that. And I definitely got hung up in the the forefront of our brewery in regards to like making the, the beers that we were making in order to keep up with demand where we were, which was great. Like I will never complain about that ever because it, it has paved our way as a brewery, but uh, more getting back to the basics of the reasoning of why I started a brewery, doing it more for myself than for, I guess, everyone else around. Sure. Um, and hopefully enough people will support that. For sure. Break us home, Eddie. What are your perspectives from yeah. the distribution side? He's the, old, he's the oldest one on the couch. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in the building maybe. Um, no, it's just continuing to, to work with great people and, and bring people together. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's a great way to end this, gentlemen. Cheers. Yeah, Thanks yeah. for sitting down. Cheers. Uh, my beer's Cheers. empty. So. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> if you're downtown Indianapolis, come down to Delaware, Delaware Street. Check out a tap room. And if you're in a suburb of St. Louis and Fluorescent, check out Narrow Gauge, man. I've enjoyed the shit out of this, man. This is a great beer. All right. Catch you on the next one. Later, folks. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. All right. right on, gents. That was fun. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. For the latest on Financial Views with Local Brews, please check out our website at financialviewswithlocalbrews.com. You can also find us on YouTube via our channel there under the same name, Financial Views with Local Brews, as well as follow us on all of our social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, where you can like and connect with us throughout the craft beer universe that we're trying to explore here in the great state of Indiana. As always, cheers. The next round's on me, and I look forward to seeing you for future episodes. Bye, everyone.